Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Borderlines from the Irish Times with me, Freya McClements. And me, Mary Minahan. This podcast is about exploring changing identities north and south with one presenter on either side of the border, chatting to your guest who's reflected on the sensitive issues involved. Our guest today is Kyle Paisley. Kyle is a minister at Alton Broad Free Presbyterian Church in Lowestoft in Suffolk in the east of England. And with that famous surname, he is also the son of the late Reverend Ian Paisley founder of both the DUP and the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster. And he's a twin brother of the MP, Ian Paisley. Kyle, would you please paint a picture of growing up on Cypress Avenue in Belfast in, I suppose, the very late 60s and the 1970s with your father, your mother Eileen and your three big sisters and, of course, your twin brother? Our first home was actually in the Bearsbridge Road in Belfast and then we moved about 1974 um, to Cypress Avenue. One of the abiding memories of um, the first home we lived in were the 4B special men that used to guard the house um, around the clock protection for, for my dad. Other than that, to us it was a kind of, because we were quite pretty young, like six, seven before we moved, we we, because of that, we, we never really took that much notice of it. We just got on with life. And it was, other than that, it was a pretty normal childhood. We did all the things that children do and, and so a lot of the things that children shouldn't do as well. Um, when we moved then, about 1973 or 74, to Cypress Avenue, um, and we were a few years older after a wee while there, it, you know, it, um, the differences in life for us uh, became more apparent then. Um, and you took it more under your notice the older we, the older we grew, um, with constant round the clock protection in the home. But at the same time, at the same time, it didn't really interfere with uh, the general normality of life. Um, you know, we 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 went to and from school. We didn't need protection going to school, anything of that kind. Um, but there was always at the back of our mind the you know um, the trouble scene in Northern Ireland. But we did have a normal childhood, um, a good, well, a normal childhood. There's, uh, there was that one unusual aspect to it. But other than that, it was, it was great. Loved, loved, our, loved our early life, loved the places we grew up in and never, will never be able to forget my roots, that's for sure. And Kyle, your father, I suppose he was renowned for his booming voice and his, shall we say, his assertive public persona. Yeah. So people might like to know, uh, you know, what kind of person he was at home. I'm sure his spare time was limited, but, you know, mm. was he the kind of dad who played football with his sons in the garden? 
Oh, he, he certainly was. <laughs> he certainly was. He joined in all the fun and games. You know, he was a, a, a normal dad. Despite the hectic schedule that he had, he always, he always made time for us if we had difficulties or problems or worries um, so on. He always took time apart uh, with us all uh, individually and then collectively as well we, as a family too. So, and we did do the normal things with him he, until he retired hurt from football one day. When my, I think it was my, I don't know, it was my brother or my sister, my younger sister went in on a hard tackle and I don't know what, what happened. <laughs> but it, she, she must have caught a shin and it turned as purple as an apprentice boy's sash. <laughs> so he retired hurt after that. <laughs> when you think back, Kyle, to the troubles, now you mentioned security and so on outside your home growing up. But what is your worst memory of the Troubles? Oh, boy. Well, well, the first one that springs to mind is the, uh, I think, would be the murder of Robert Bradford. The MP Robert um, Bradford, who was killed in 1981. That, that's right. And he, um, I think his constituency office was not that far away. It was very close to um, a Sunday school that our church back in Belfast ran. And then, of course... When we were on holiday, I think it was on holiday, I remember the news breaking out about Lord Mountbatten's death and the, the 18 soldiers at Warren Point. So those, if you'd asked me that same question another day, I might think of other things, but those are the two that spring to mind just immediately. Do, do, does it still influence you? Did the, the Troubles leave its mark on you personally? Oh, I think the Troubles left its mark on, 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 on everybody in Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland too in some ways. You know, everybody's, you can't not live in a place like that, not be influenced in your thinking, maybe in your feelings, your political outlook and so on. Um, there was one incident which which happened, which I do remember, and it came very close to the mark. I was travelling home with my dad from the BBC in Belfast in July, I think, 1981. There was an NLA sniper, had a pop at us, <laughs> narrowly missed the back of the car in which we were travelling. Um, and that... It, it was all over in a flash, but when, it, when we got home that day, sitting down and thinking about how close, how close we came to death or serious injury, then it was really, you know, it leaves you gobsmacked. I've never forgotten that. I'm never, it's as clear as the day it happened, you know. And how young were you, Kyle, when you realised the troubles were going on? I'd say in your case, fairly young. And how do you feel about that? I mean, I mentioned that earlier about the, you know, the B-Specials men that guarding the old house in the Beersbridge Road. I became more aware of it as I got older, but particularly that incident that I just me- I mentioned fixed it in my mind uh, because it came so close. I mean, you, you get, we almost got used to things happening in Northern Ireland, um, people being killed, which is not a good way to be, but it became almost a part of daily life and you get almost conditioned to it. But when it gets to you, then you really begin to think, you know, if you're caught in something or you witness something or you're a target for somebody, then you really think. I always find it very interesting. You're obviously a, a twin and you and, and your twin brother, Ian, you're almost like, I, I don't know if this is true or not. You can tell me if I'm completely wrong, but, you know, it, 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 it's like you're the two halves of, of your, your father. You know, Ian went into politics and you went into in, into religion. Is that how it, it, it broke down broadly? It is, it is, I suppose. I mean, Ian does have a church interest and I have, I have a political interest, as you know, but I, I don't feel any particular urge or calling to politics. He did, and uh, 
so we both got on to it. It's a, it's a brave man that would wear two shoes or step into two shoes and father's shoes. I, very few people can combine those two those two callings. From my point of view, I think churches should leave it open for ministers or church leaders to be politically involved if they choose to do. There's a there's a mindset out there that says, no, there should never be any involvement of churchmen in politics. I think you're really cutting off opportunity and the church could have an influence in politics, a good influence if it used its, its position right. But for me, it's not. I mean, I, uh, I have no interest in going into it as a calling. So, yeah, Ian wore the other shoe and I wore the... <laughs> I wore the I wore the the right shoe. He wore the left shoe. But depends on <laughs> where you're coming from. You know. I, I I think you sort of said that you, you've a bit of an interest in politics, and I mean I, I know you know we, we know just from talking to you that that's absolutely right. But I mean I mean you, you tweeted even any party in Northern Ireland contemplating collapsing Stormont should spell that out in their next election manifesto. Then voters will have a clear choice between those who are serious about ruling and trying to improve what is there, and those who want to close government down. As we're recording, that's the threat on the table from from the DUP, your father's party, your brother's party that they'll withdraw their ministers from Stormont unless the issues around the Northern Ireland Protocol are resolved to their satisfaction. I mean, is, is, is that, is that a, a challenge to them? And, you know, how, how, how does that work around the family dinner table at, at, at Christmas, you know, when you've been, right. been sort of putting out tweets like that? Um, well, no, it's not just a challenge to them. I know and I'm aware of the, the UP position and the thing, but... As I see it, although no other parties may be saying it, uh, it's always capable for any of the big hitters in, in Northern Ireland government to do, to bring down storm. I mean, Sinn Féin did it before, and although they're not saying they're going to do it now, I mean, who knows what will emerge in the next number of months uh, in the fallout of the Brexit uh, discussions and so on. Um, no, it's a, it's a challenge to parties generally that those that are saying they might do it and those that may be thinking it but not saying it, you know, this is, <clears throat> if local government goes, you know, where are we? Where Where is Northern Ireland? And Northern Ireland came out of a, a, a cruel period of trouble and emerged to get its, its own government and where it could rule itself and not, not have the same degree of input from Britain and be more, a little bit more independent in a sense. And doing its own thing. Are we going to throw that away after 25 years? Um, I think everything should be done, if possible, by all parties um, to save Stormont if, if, they, if they can. Hopefully it is saveable, um, but I suppose it's a case of what's this space. Is, is this one of the benefits of you now being in England, that whenever you're back here or you're talking to people back here, you're always... A Paisley, yeah. and you can't get away with that. And we persist in asking you questions about about your father and about the DUP. You know, in in England, are you just? I don't know how you refer to yourself. Are you just Reverend Paisley? I or by first name. Most people know me by first name, but I don't. Uh, people here wouldn't wouldn't really know the connection. They would have known it in the early days when my father used to come over fairly regularly. But I'm kind of in, incognito, as I say. We talk on this podcast about identity a lot and uh, you describe yourself, I think, as an Irishman in England. Isn't that right? And some people might be surprised you don't specifically say Northern Irish or perhaps an Ulsterman. 
Is it your view that a person can hold multiple identities, a combination of identities, if you like, without conflict? And what are yours in terms of do you like the labels Irish, British, Northern Irish and so on? Um, yeah, I, I would I would still say I'm Irish. I mean, I grew up in Northern Ireland. Um, I those I spent my formative years there. And I can't say um, after the 24 years I spent there that that has no bearing on who I am. I mean, that has the, the first bearing on who I am. So strictly speaking, I, I want to be a little bit more narrow about it. I've called myself Northern Irish or Irish. And I think it was my father who said, you can't really be an Ulster man without being an Irish man. Um, and there, there are, are there's certainly an Irish dimension to my identity. Um, also, I, I would count myself British too, because of British citizenship, I enjoy the benefits of the union with Britain. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's perfectly possible. It's very hard to pin somebody down and say you should identify yourself in this way, because everybody has a different take on it. Um, so I think you can have it. You can have more than one aspect to your identity, two, maybe three. But the Irish and British or British and Irish, whatever way it can be put. Kelly, you didn't, I suppose, follow the path of politics laid down by your father, but you, you did follow in, in the sense that you went into ministry. When and how did you decide on that path? And was there one particular moment in which you made up your mind and thought, this is the life for me? Um, there, well, there's no, as you you might say, there's no like Damascus Road like a, a, a blinding light from the sky, anything like that. Um, but um, I suppose sometimes it, people can be led in a certain direction by nature or maybe by nurture. I know I had praying grandparents that, uh, I remember my father telling me this, he said, my grandfather, my paternal and my maternal grandfather used to take me on their knee and, and pray that God would make a preacher out of me. Um, uh, but, I mean, I... Above all the needs that people have, I think they have a need to hear the gospel. And in a world that seems to be falling apart, um, I think the best news is the news of the Christian gospel. And that's really why I'm in what I'm in. It's a simple, it's a simple uh, calling in that regard. There's nothing, nothing dramatic about it. Um, but it's simply because people have need. And uh, if I can share some good news <laughs> in a world that's full of miserable news then I, that's that's the reason why I do what I do. I wonder what the the difference is in, in terms of you're obviously a minister in, in England. The perception from where I'm sitting in Northern Ireland at the moment is, you know, that England is a much more secular um, society, you know, than the Northern Ireland. I imagine being a free Presbyterian minister in England is very different to how it would be if you were still doing that by, back at home. Yes, it is. And it has its advantages because uh, <laughs> I don't have... Uh, because there's quite a few free Presbyterian churches, as you know, there and some of several within close proximity to each other. But at least being here, I don't have any other free Presbyterian leaning over my shoulder and saying, "You don't want to do it like that. You want to do it like that." Oh, maybe that's not the way the big man would do it. What, what ways, etc., etc. So I don't. It's a, it's a to me, it's an advantage being here. Although I'm not in Northern Ireland that often, but I get a sense that Northern Ireland is moving towards. It's certainly becoming more secular, like Britain. But I would prefer if. It was down just simply to me to stay here until the day I go elsewhere. You know, I, I love England, love the people here. And despite the fact that we're cursed with indifference, people are generally spiritually or religiously indifferent, it's still a good place to live. And, you know, there are those people who are willing to listen to what you have to say and you just have to be patient, patient with it. I'll get there. 
get there eventually. There's Spurgeon, the great English Baptist, said, he said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. So I'm going at it, but I'm going slowly, but I'll get there, I think. Kyle, when you look to the Republic, um, you've observed before that the power of the Catholic Church in Ireland is certainly not what it used to be and is likely to decrease further. Um, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing or is it a statement made with any kind of value judgment? Is it just a statement of fact? Well, it's it, it bearing on the on the some of those moral questions like abortion and, and other other related matters. Uh, I think once the church lost its influence there as a result, probably as a result of the scandals, I, I think in that regard it's a bad thing because it can no longer influence the outcome in questions like that the way it used to do. I would hold quite similar views um, to Roman Catholics on the issue of abortion, say. So in that regard, the church losing its influence and not being able to um, you know, have the input it had on an issue like that before, I think that means in one regard it's, it's a bad thing. Another thing, other regards, it's a, it's a matter of fact, the, the world is going more secular. There's less interest in religion everywhere, um, organised religion everywhere, and uh, which is a shame, really. And as I said earlier, you know, I'm, I'm struggling here with and struggled with for a long time indifference. A religious indifference is the toughest thing to deal with. I'd far rather somebody was, I wouldn't welcome it, I wouldn't ask them to be hostile, but I'd far rather somebody was a little bit hostile and indifferent. Um, so when there's spiritual indifference in any country, whether it's the Irish Republic or the North or, or Britain, it's not a good thing. You're listening to Borderlines. We'll continue our conversation with Kyle Paisley after this short break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to Borderlines. Today we're talking to Kyle Paisley about his identity, religion and culture. I wonder, you know, now the border is very much sort of part of the discourse again. And I wonder, was that a thing for you growing up? Did you cross the border much? We did. I don't think we did go into Southern Ireland on a family holiday. Um, I know my dad crossed the border for preaching engagements quite a bit. He used to go into Monaghan. Corrigari, there is a church there. It used to attend. I can't remember being in the Irish Republic on holidays. I've been since, been in Donegal, been in Dublin two or three times since. Do you remember what your first impression was the first time you went over the border and did it feel like somewhere somewhere different or did it feel like somewhere that was very similar to home? Well, because it's just over, I think the first time I went over was, was to Monaghan uh, and to me it was no different. It was just no different. I mean, you're just two or three miles, a few miles over the border and it didn't feel any different. Didn't certainly didn't look any different, really. 
you know. So but there was no no nothing in the appearance of the place that that uh, suggested it was a a hostile territory. <laughs> It's quite a striking phrase, that hostile territory. When you look at where we are now and all the discussions about, you know, border poles and United Ireland and all the questions thrown up by Brexit, how do you feel about the border now? How do you feel about North and South, about the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland and, and that relationship? It certainly strained the relationship, unfortunately. It, it's it's created difficulties both sides of the border, which is a great shame because I think the people generally, North and South, get on well. And they want they want the the island to work, whether or not Northern Ireland is a separate entity politically from the Irish Republic, and whether or not it remains that way. I think people north and south still want the island to work, whether it's as two separate political entities or as one. They want it to work, and it's just a shame. It's just a crying shame that that things have gone so skewed in recent times. How do you feel about the conversations about a united Ireland or a shared island or, or whatever way, way yeah. it's phrased? Are you in favour of Ireland being united politically in whatever way that might be? Or, or would you prefer to see it remain as is, Northern Ireland remains part of the UK? Well, I personally prefer to see it remain as part of the UK. But um, I think there'd be more, you may have as many difficulties uh, undoing partition as happened in the immediate aftermath of partition. Sometimes I think that you're better sticking with what you got and work at it to try and make it better. Although that sounds, it sounds sometimes a wee bit late in the day after all the kerfuffle of recent times with Brexit. But I think there are people that are probably very well intentioned with regard to United Ireland um, and what they would do to make unionists feel at home there. But even with the best of intentions and the best kind of plans on paper, it's still it's still a kind of unknown quantity. I'm of the mind that you're better to stick with the devil you know and try and make try and improve it. But unfortunately things aren't improving and they're really in purgatory or limbo at the moment. Kyle, you mentioned Brexit there. What is your view of Brexit now? Um can you tell us a little about how it impacts on the part of England you're living in? And do you still believe a an IREXIT could happen in the years ahead? Well, personally, I'd prefer to be out of Europe, although at the same time, I think the way Brexit has been handled by politicians across the, the, the islands has been a dog's dinner, really, or a dog's Brexit. In some regards, I might as well not start it in the first place if they're going to make a hash up off it. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, I suppose it's always possible. There, there are rumbles in Poland aren't at the moment over... Uh, Polish independence from Europe and, and the rest. Nothing's impossible. Uh, the world's just European politics, but we bit like Irish politics. It's, it's, it's At times it seems to be riddled with uncertainties and it's anybody's guess, really. You were one of the people, Kyle, who, who made a really interesting submission, actually, to a report by Fianna Fáil Senator Mark Daly, which had the, the rather unwieldy title, Unionist Concerns and Fears of a United Ireland, the Need to Protect the Peace Process and Build a Vision for a Shared Island and a United People. Um, and that was published in 2019. And in your submission, you reflected on the changes that have come to both Northern Ireland and, and the Republic. And I wanted to ask you just what, what has struck you most in terms of those changes? Well, um the changes in Northern Ireland certainly were for the better up until recent times, that's for sure. But there, all the talk around Brexit has just introduced an uncertainty that wasn't there before. And um, it has left things somewhat frayed. I, I don't think there will be an outbreak of trouble, but 
you still don't want to increase tension if you can if if you can possibly. The relationship between North and South would be better, I think, had Brexit certainly been handled better. You would you would hope that if people have a will to do that they can they can undo some of the difficulties that have been caused already. Um but it's just a wee bit it's a bit more tense, which is unfortunate because in those early days when, when the assembly was re established in two thousand and six, two thousand and seven I was over in Northern Ireland a few times and, you know, there was, cert- there was certainly a buzz in the air and I think there, there was a general across the island, there was a better feeling about the future. Uh, I think I saw Martin McGuinness say once on a, on a broadcast, he said, I'm excited about where we are um, and where we might be in another 10 years' time. Um, I'm not so sure that my father or he would say the same thing if they're back today. Yeah. You know? Kyle, you also said in your submission that your father and the late Martin McGuinness had proved that English rule was not necessary to political stability in Northern Ireland, so long as leaders could work together. But then you you said a bad spirit had gotten and run amok through political life in Northern Ireland, and that had frustrated patience and stifled progress and eventually brought things to a shuddering halt. Uh, and as you said, then Brexit obviously was this unforeseen factor that came in on top of it. And you said that the uncertainty then that that had created had given uh, impetus to Republicans and nationalists to seek reunification. Can you expand on your thinking there and how do you see it a number of years on uh, since you wrote that? Well, I think their impetus of Republicans has certainly grown. I mean, and they must be sitting uh, back, rubbing their hands with glee to see things in such disarray because... If you read some of the things that they say, it's, it seems as though they, they feel they're on the cusp of something that they've been looking for for, for decades. The disarray among in, in, in unionist ranks led into that too. And the, I don't think the Prime Minister in Britain is going to make any, any change. I wouldn't, I wouldn't t- uh, trust him at all with handling Northern Ireland affairs. I think if he could do what Edward Heath was reporting, Supposed to have said once, I think if he could tow Northern Ireland in the middle of the Atlantic and sink it, he would do it. I don't think things have changed since I wrote that. I think the drive to seek United Ireland has intensified, and um, when there's uncertainty uh, over Brexit, it certainly it certainly fueled that. Unless something is done, who knows what will be another five years' time? I don't know. I don't know if there will be United Ireland in my lifetime. Only a mug would say there'd be United Ireland in the next five, six, seven years. And equally, uh, it would be a fool who would, you know, put his money on there never being a United Ireland. There's certainly more chance of it perhaps now because of the way things are than there were, say, even 10 years ago. And if there was a United Ireland in the coming years, Kyle, and you were returning home to visit family and so on, would it feel like going back to? Would it feel like you were going to an alien country, or how would it feel? I don't suppose initially it would feel as if you're going to an alien country. Northern Ireland is always, and uh, I have a second home here in England, but Northern Ireland will always still be home for me. Um, I, and I don't think you would notice any real change for for a considerable period of time. Perhaps it wouldn't put me off if I had to move back for any reason there it wouldn't it wouldn't put me off going back like and if I was living there and there had been United Ireland it wouldn't it wouldn't cause me to leave <laughs> I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't make a decision on leaving just because there's United Ireland or not going back just because there's United Ireland it's always going to be my home uh, and it'll always have a draw to me 
There, there, there's a lot of talk about um, that conversation around a united Ireland or a shared island or, or however it might be described. And there's there's a lot of talk as well. You know, when we, you talk to unionists, some unionists will say, well, we, we won't engage with this because there's no point in engaging with something where the outcome is predestined. And others will say, look, well, we, we need to be a part of this conversation to try and shape what change might be. Do you think unionists need to be involved in these conversations? Well, I think unionists would probably feel that if we, if we involve ourselves in those conversations, are we, are, are we and then um, unwittingly feeding the, um, the desire for United Ireland? They should certainly be observing what's happening. It's a, dif- it's a difficult one. And I think, too, you know, the promises are made that, you know, your, your identity will be, unionist identity will, will, will be honoured. In the United Ireland, it, at, at best, it can only be honoured on paper because once the once the link with the United Kingdom is broken, once the political link is broken, it's an identity and name only. So I guess that that's why Unis won't engage in, in conversations in the United Ireland because it would just feed that whole process. So when people talk about you know unionists being accommodated with a within a United Ireland or, or talk about different systems, when people talk about things like federal systems and you know, in provinces, and there might be a parliament in Belfast and all, all these sort of things, as you see it, essentially that's just a, a non. You know, you're you're trying to square a circle. You know, you can't accom- accommodate somebody who is a unionist in in a United Ireland where there is no longer that link with the union. Well, you can accommodate them up to a certain degree. I mean, for all I know, in the United Ireland, <laughs> you might get some better treatment than unions have gotten from Britain, in some, perhaps in some in some ways. But the link being once the link is broken, I think to unions that would feel not the end of their identity, but you know, at, at best, you you'd be you'd have you'd have certainly lost it once you, once you've lost the link you've, you feel as though you've lost your identity even though that it may be acknowledged and even though you you, you will have rights etc in, in a in a republic um once you're out of britain you're out of britain you know that's that's how unionists would feel and it's you know i think because the troubles the troubles still cast and will for for a long time they'll cast a dark shadow over everything um, overall discussions, however well intentioned they are, it'll always it'll always be in people's minds, and um, it um, it colours everything really to the present day, and um, that's why f- moving forward on issues is, is so very difficult. You know, it may take another generation before um, there can be any massive progress. Kyle certainly is right about the troubles casting a dark shadow over all our discussions. But let's hope it doesn't take another generation to make progress. Next week, we're talking to Mickey Bradley from The Undertones about Top of the Pops, growing up in Derry and encountering British Army foot patrols. That's on Borderlines every Monday. From me, Mary Minahan. And me, Freya McClements, and our producer Declan Conlon. Goodbye for now. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.